Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Luke, the sixth chapter, verses 27 through 35. If you're using the Pew Bible, that'll be on page 911. In this reading, our Lord is teaching his disciples the things that he wanted them to know in those days, just as surely as he is teaching us today as we read his word. Beginning with verse 27. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. And to him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer the other also. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee. And of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what think have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what think have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what think have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is the kind unto the unthankful and unto the evil. It couldn't have happened at a worse time. There was a group who was being used powerfully by God to spread His Word in a foreign country. In fact, they had built a school in which they would teach and train other workers with the churches that were being planted in that city and in the surrounding areas. God's Word was reaching people who had never heard it before. And there were preachers being sent out of this church that were able to take God's message to those places. Things were working very well. And as this this church planted a school that was going to train these ministers. They began to systematically buy out certain apartments in this apartment building. And they converted those into classrooms and places where students could come and study and they could store some resources and even some teachers would stay in those places when they'd come to teach. And they began to systematically buy these classrooms until finally there was only one apartment in the apartment building that they did not own. There was an older couple that lived in that apartment. They were not happy about this school systematically buying out all of these living spaces. In fact, they weren't even happy about the church having its presence in that community. And they would see what they could do to upset those missionaries that were trying to operate the school. They would play their music very loudly during class times or when they were having a, a common meal, an eating time, maybe a celebration. They would do whatever they could to distract these people from their mission until finally there was a confrontation that took place, a very heated confrontation that almost turned into physical violence when the woman that was living in this apartment had a confrontation with one of the helpers in this school. Couldn't have happened at a worse time. Doors were being opened. There were chances they had to reach out and they were being 
being stifled, there was someone standing in their way who was an enemy. Not just an enemy of them, but was standing in the way of God's Word being spread. How do you respond when something like that happens? How do you react? You know, in the New Testament, Jesus makes some statements that are difficult to understand. In Mark chapter 3, he talks about sinning against the Holy Spirit. That's a difficult concept to understand. It's hard to wrap your mind around that. That requires some detailed study of what he says there, what we know in other places about the Holy Spirit, before we can, we can really wrap our minds around that concept. Towards the end of the Gospel of Luke, in Luke 21, Jesus would talk about signs of the end of the age. And all kinds of scholars has come, have come up with all kinds of theories about what that meant until it's so confused now that there are people who come to that passage and have no idea what Jesus could have originally meant by the ends of the age. That requires some deep reflection and some careful study. Jesus said some things in His ministry that were difficult to understand. Good news is, this morning's passage that was just read to us is not one of those things. This is not a statement that is hard to understand. Love your enemies. We know how important love is. We know that we all need love. And we all know who our enemies are. And we're not just talking about enemies that you would think of as you look throughout history and see the names of Adolf Hitler or even Osama bin Laden. We're thinking about enemies in our own lives. Enemies that every single one of us can think of in our mind. You have probably even thought of some in just the past couple of minutes as we've talked about this. People that seem to stand against what you want to accomplish in your life, that always have something negative to say about you, maybe have even caused you some serious emotional and physical harm. How do we respond to those enemies? When Jesus tells us to love our enemies, He's telling us to do something that's against our own nature. He didn't say something easy like, love your children. You know, as, as I look around and see the children that are in this room and that we have in the fellowship hall, no one had to tell the parents when that child was born, by the way, you need to love this child. And definitely no one had to tell the grandparents when that child was born, by the way, you need to love this child. I mean, grandparents, have you ever had to be commanded to love your grandchildren? It comes naturally, doesn't it? We don't have to be commanded to love those who are in our family or, or maybe those friends who have stood beside us, been by us all through the years that we've lived, done so much for us. We don't have to be commanded to love those people. It comes naturally. We have to be commanded to love our enemies. As we've focused over the past few weeks on Jesus' Sermon on the Plain, I would invite you, if you haven't already, to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. We're going to look at what Jesus has to say about loving our enemies. Luke chapter 6. And if you haven't turned there already, as you think about what is taking place, let's remind ourselves that this is the first training session that Jesus has with His disciples. This is a basic training time. He has just spent a night in prayer as He has thought about the twelve apostles to whom He would entrust the gospel and send them out into the world, and now He's given them their basic training session. And so we'll turn to Luke chapter 6 and prepare to enter into this training session with the twelve. As you're doing that, let me tell you how thrilled we are to have you with us especially if you're visiting with us. We want to know what we can do to encourage you. Let me remind you that we do have a beautiful new welcome center out in our foyer. And if there is any information you want or any questions you have, if you would make your way down there. We have some information. That's where all of our sign-up sheets will be. It'll be a wonderful resource. We want you to take advantage of that. And we want to find ways that we can encourage you. As Jesus is giving this sermon that's 
famous in Matthew's version of the Sermon on the Mount, maybe not quite as famous in what Luke records the material, he's telling his disciples something that doesn't come naturally. He's already gone over the blessings and the woes. You remember, blessed are those who are poor, those who are hungry, those who weep, those who are persecuted, and woe to those who are on the opposite end of the spectrum. And so as we transport ourselves back to this teaching, we can think in our mind's eye, he's already covered those subjects. And now as we sit at the feet of the master teacher, maybe this picture of modern-day Galilee will give us a sense of what it would have been like to hear these words. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. Love your enemies. Now that's a good principle, isn't it? I mean, in theory, that's something that we want to be able to do, but we can't be expected to do that all the time, can we? Corey Ten Boom, a survivor of the Holocaust, writes in her novel, The Hiding Place, about her real-life experience of meeting a man who had served as a guard at the camp where she had spent time. And she met him years removed from the fact. In fact, he didn't even recognize her. And as she saw his face and heard his voice, all those memories came flooding back those memories of guards mocking the prisoners, talking to each other, and channeling all of these prisoners to these shower rooms. And some of those shower rooms ended up killing many of those who were in that camp, and she could think of all of it as if it were yesterday. And he had no idea who she was, and he extended his hand for her to shake it. Surely in a situation like that, we're not required to love our enemies, right? I mean, surely we get a pass if it's something that serious. What if it's someone who, who has abused us, maybe verbally, maybe even physically, caused a great deal of damage? Surely we don't have to love that person. Surely if we think about a person at work who spread lies about us, maybe they just don't like us, maybe they want our position, but they've really sought every way they could to hurt us. Surely we don't have to love that person, do we? No one understood what it was like to have enemies better than Jesus Christ, and he tells us to love our enemies. And what's really interesting is he ties the love of our enemies in with the greatest and second greatest command. This is a love that acts. And it's really interesting to see that action taking place. If you would hold your, your finger in Luke chapter 6 and flip over to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, we see probably one of the more famous parables as Jesus talks about the parable of the Good Samaritan. But I want us to think about how that parable begins. In Luke chapter 10, he says, Behold, a certain lawyer, in verse 25, stood up and tested him saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responded by saying, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered in verse 27, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself. And then in verse 28, Jesus says back to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. And then look at verse 29. So far they haven't covered anything new. These are all commands that were given in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Leviticus 19. This is something that had gone through the old law. Everyone knew you were supposed to love God and love your neighbor. But look at what Jesus says when he's asked this question in verse 29. The lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Now here is where the teaching of Jesus goes against what was commonly taught in that day. In fact, history tells us some Jewish rabbis thought that you should love your neighbor, but that you could hate your enemy. And when Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, a man who was beaten and left for dead, a priest and a Levite pass by, neither of them go to help him, and who is the one that stops and helps him? You couldn't think of a group of people that would have been any more serious enemies to the Jews than the Samaritans. 
But look what he said as Jesus is telling this parable in verse 33. A certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And then later on in verse 36, Jesus asked the lawyer, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. You see, the love that Jesus wants us to show our enemies is a love that acts. And when Jesus is talking about love of your neighbor, he expands the term neighbor to include even your enemies. For Jews, it would have included even the Samaritans. Even the group of people they could think of that they were opposed to, that they would have looked down on, that they would have considered almost half-breeds because of the race where they were. They weren't quite the Jewish people. They weren't quite the chosen people. Those people were their neighbors. And so as we think about the love that God calls us to, it's a love that acts. We also need to think about this quote by C.S. Lewis, who's a great Christian thinker. And as we focus on this love that acts, um, I'm going to ask us if we could to, uh, to, to turn off the, the screen for just a moment. Uh, this is, uh, these are a few of the slides that we're going to look at this morning, but it's not quite all of them. And chances are, with my computer skills, I probably saved it in the wrong place. So if you would go ahead and, and turn the screen off, we'll reflect on these words and think about a love that truly acts, a love that doesn't pay lip service to reaching out to other people. Look at what Jesus says about an action plan for that kind of love. He says to do good to those who hate you. C.S. Lewis would say this way, do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor, whether you feel like you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets when you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love him. In other words, we might not always feel like loving our enemies. In fact, there are probably uh, quite a few of us this morning who when we woke up, you felt great, you saw the light coming through your window, you felt this was a wonderful day, you were excited, it was early, you wanted to get up and make breakfast and get ready to come to worship. It didn't take much for you to get out of bed. You were a morning person. There may be some others of us that are more like me. And getting out of bed and getting dressed is the first monumental victory you face all day. I mean, you are excited when you finally you get ready to go. I mean, this is a big deal. You're excited. It's a challenge. We're familiar with doing things that we don't feel like doing. Sometimes, if we really want to have a love that acts, we're going to have to do something that we don't feel like doing. You may have heard the term agape, love, that we see in the New Testament. It's very interesting. That word isn't used much until the New Testament comes along. And then God uses that several times to describe the kind of love we have. Do you know one of the characteristics that sets agape love apart from all the other words for love in the Greek language? There's an aspect of agape love that the meaning is to prove one's love. It's not just a feeling. It's an action. It's something you do to prove your love. So there may be sometimes, as we love our enemies, that we're going to have to do our way into feeling. We might not feel like it, but if we can do something that would show love, if we can take action in displaying that kind of love, then we can possibly get to a point where we feel that love. It's a love that acts. But look at what Jesus says next. He says, do good to those who hate you, and then bless those who curse you. When Jesus is describing the love we need to have for our enemies, number one, it's a love that acts. Number two, it's a love that blesses. You see, in verse 22, he told his disciples that if they followed him long enough, they would be rejected. They would be persecuted. They would be ostracized. They would receive severe treatment. And can you imagine? Just transport yourself there in your mind's eye to the feet of Jesus and look around at all the other apostles there. 
Do you think any of them had any idea what laid in store for them later in their lives? Do you think they could have even imagined what would happen to them, to being put to death or being exiled, the persecution that would take place in the church? And Jesus is giving them the advice early, bless those who curse you. You think about James being the first apostle that's put to death just in an effort for Herod to please the people. Peter, who was put in prison several times, eventually, history would tell us, crucified on a cross upside down. John being exiled. As we think about the fate of all these apostles, they probably could not have comprehended the importance of Jesus' statements, bless those who curse you. And yet Jesus is telling them that true love for our enemies is a love that acts. It's a love that blesses. And it's also a love that prays. Look at what he says next in verse 28. Pray for those who spitefully use you. It is difficult to be mad at someone I pray for. Have you ever noticed that? It's difficult to be angry with someone and truly pray for them. Prayer does a couple of things for us. Number one, prayer reminds Christians that we are all on the same mission. If I have an enemy who's not a Christian, and I really start praying for that person's soul, I'm reminded that the important aspect of our relationship is not that I'm pleased or that I feel good or that, that he thinks I'm a wonderful person. The important aspect of our relationship is that I can reach his soul for God, that I can share the love of Christ with him, that I can share God's word with that person. That's the important part. And as I pray, it helps me focus on my mission. And prayer also helps Christians know that they're on the same team. See, it's difficult when we have enemies that aren't members of the Lord's body. It's also difficult when we have enemies that are members of the church, enemies that are our brothers and sisters in Christ. I never will forget being present at a gospel meeting years ago in which a preacher made a statement that probably wasn't put in exactly the best terms that he could have. He probably didn't use quite, quite the right wording to get his point across, and it, it came out sounding a different way and Although it wasn't anything that offended most of the people there, there were two or three men standing in the back that were just waiting for him to walk down that aisle after the sermon was over so that they could confront him. And I was in the foyer, and I saw them kind of lying in wait. He came out the back, and only later did I find out what was being said, but I could tell they were upset with him. In fact, they had several things they were upset with him about. Not only were they going to tell him how upset they were, they were going to write about it in a bulletin and make sure that it was given to everyone in the area so they would know what this person said. And his response, I thought, was a wonderful way that he used Jesus' teaching here to pray for those who spitefully use you. When they confronted him about this first statement he'd made, he looked at them very sincerely and said, you know, as soon as I said that, I didn't think that was right. Uh, you know, I appreciate you coming to me with this. I'm, I'm really glad that you brought this to me. Can we pray about this? And he very sincerely put his arm around them and began to pray for them. He prayed for them, for what they were doing, for, for their ministry, for what was going on. Completely diffused the situation and reminded everyone there that we're all on the same team. And so sometimes it might be a matter of praying with someone I'm having a difficulty with. It's hard to be upset with someone when you pray for them. So it's a love that acts, it's a love that blesses, it's a love that prays, and it's also a love that gives. You see, here we see the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's a love that gives to other people. Gives freely, without expecting anything in return. And while we do want to treat people the way we want to be treated, the reason we treat them that way is not so they'll treat us better. It's not so that we can be served. It's because we're wanting to serve God. And because that's the way God treated us. There's probably no better pic 
picture of love than the one Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13. And if you think about that passage, there are several things that Paul says love is, but there are a few things that Paul says love is not. Did you know Jesus does the same thing here? When he's describing love for our enemies, listen to a few things that he says that that love is not. Number one, it is not typical. Listen to verse 32. He says, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Have you noticed that the world places a lot of conditions on love? As we grow up, we find out that coaches will love us as long as we can perform well on the field or on the court. And there may be a boyfriend or a girlfriend that will love us as long as we'll do things with them that we know that we shouldn't. There may be a boss that will love us as long as we sacrifice our time with our family and our time serving the Lord so that we can work for the company and make all of that money that we're going after. There are people that will love us as long as we do something for them. God's love is different. It's not typical. It's not a love that has conditions on it. It's an unconditional agape love. God's proved His love for us, and now we're called to prove our love for Him. It's very interesting to me that one of the most common verses quoted and even seen on the side of, of stands at, at football games and, and sporting events is John 3.16, For God so loved the world. He loved everyone. Now what we do with that love, whether or not we take advantage of it, is up to us. It's not typical. I thought it was interesting that as the movie End of the Spear recently debuted, a movie about a missionary family who goes and they minister to people who had murdered their father and a group of other missionaries that had been there years earlier. Eventually, they are able to, to live there and to, and to set up camp there. And it was interesting to see reviewers, as they talked about this movie, talk about how unrealistic it was. It just didn't have a sense of reality to it. Well, that's because that kind of forgiving love is different than what we're used to. So we can rest assured, if we show love to our enemies, it won't be typical. It also won't be self-serving. Look at what Jesus says in verse 35. Love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Hoping for nothing in return. Do you remember the first time you heard the phrase, killing someone with kindness? I use that all the time, and as I was thinking about this passage, I stopped to really reflect on, on that phrase. I mean, kindness is good. We want to be kind, but, but the goal of that kindness is to kill someone when we use that phrase. We want to kill them with kindness. You know, we really want to get them with that kindness. Think about what, what Paul would write in Romans chapter 12. He says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. The first time I heard this verse, I had an image in my mind that I could put coals of fire literally, on, physically on top of someone's head. I said, if I really want to make my enemy sweat, if I really want to make him hurt, I'll just be nice to him. That's the way I can get him back. That's not the love Jesus is talking about. In fact, historians have told us that there was a practice of carrying a pan of hot coals around your head to show remorse. And, and if you treat someone kindly, hopefully they'll eventually show remorse. And that could be what Paul is talking about. Whatever the case, the love that Jesus calls us to show is not typical, and it's not self-serving. We don't love other people so they'll feel bad about what they've done to us. We don't love other people so that we can prove that we're better than them. We love them because God loved us, and we want to show that love to them. It's a love that acts. It doesn't pay lip service to the concept. It's a love that, that blesses those who curse us. It, it's a love that prays for those that we are so set against, it seems like, in life. And it's a love that gives 
to those. It's not a love that's typical. It's not a love that's self-seeking. I want you to think right now of three things you would like to happen in your life. Just any, any three things you would really like to see happen in your life. What if you left here and every day this week prayed that those three things would happen to one of your enemies, one of, one of the people that are hard to get along with, that you struggle with, with spending time with? How would that change your relationship? As we think about what this love is and what this love is, and I want us to end with a picture that Jesus gives us of this kind of love. It's a love that we find in Romans chapter 5. If you would turn there with me, and we'll wrap up our thoughts together and hopefully leave with a renewed sense of responsibility to love our enemies. Look at what he says in verse 6 of Romans chapter 5. He says, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. And then look in verse 8. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul describes the death of Christ as taking place in due time. I like the way that, that other translations have rendered it at just the right time. The perfect time. Have you ever wondered why God has picked out that specific time for Christ to die? What made it the perfect time? What made it the right time? There are several things as we think about the culture of that day. The fact that the Romans had built roads, that the apostles would be able to travel, that, that the Christians would be able to take to spread the gospel, that, that there was a postal system developed or communication was easier. There were all these advances, and those are things that really helped the spread of the gospel. But look at what Paul says here was the reason for the timing. Verse 6, when we were still without strength. And verse 8, while we were still sinners. You see, it was the perfect time for Jesus to die because we were still enemies. We were still against Him. We were helpless. We were without strength. We were still sinners. And that's how God showed His love through Christ. He didn't wait until we had, had seen the error of our ways. He didn't wait until we had done anything to deserve a death on the cross. Jesus, as Luke would record His words on the cross, asked for forgiveness for those who crucified Him weeks before anyone ever knew they needed it. Weeks before anyone would ask Peter on the day of Pentecost, what should we do? Jesus on the cross made that forgiveness available so that when the Gospel was first preached, in Acts chapter 2, Peter could say that if they repented and were baptized, they could have forgiveness of their sins. You see, Jesus cared for people even when they didn't understand Him. When we were sinners, when we were helpless, when we were powerless, when we were enemies, Christ showed His love toward us. And the right time for me to show my love toward enemies is not when they've seen the error of their ways or not when they've come to me and asked for forgiveness. The right time for me to forgive them is right now. When they're in the same state that I was in. That's the right time for me to show the love of Christ. It's interesting, as Paul writes the book of Romans, that he was present at another death, the stoning of Stephen. And at the very end of Acts chapter 7, in verse 60, as Stephen's last breath is escaping his mouth, he says, Lord, please do not hold this sin against him. Stephen knew what it meant to forgive his enemies. He knew what it meant to love his enemies. And don't you think Paul was glad that enemies of Christ could have forgiveness? And when he encounters Christ on that Damascus road, when the blinding light comes to him, and Jesus says that I am Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. Don't you know Paul was glad that Jesus modeled a love for his enemies that could allow him to have forgiveness and that would allow him to talk about God's perfect love being shown and that he loved those who were his enemies. If I want to love like God, if I want to love the way Christ displayed it on the cross, I'm going to love my enemies. It was a pretty bad time for the Ukrainian Bible Institute 
as they were trying to expand on their building and on their campus, and there was that one couple that was standing in the way. It was a difficult time for conflict to arise. But you may remember just a few months ago, we reported that the husband of that couple fell ill, and the only people they had to turn to were those Christians that had been meeting in their building. And they went to them and said, we want to know more about the God you pray to. We want to pray for my husband. Later on, they were taught the Word of God. They were baptized. And now they're Christians. As we think about loving our enemies, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could have an end like that in mind? If we could show them a love and concern that ultimately could lead them to see God's love and concern for them. That same love is available to every one of us. And as we think about the words of Paul, Christ didn't wait until we had turned our lives around and done anything to deserve what happened on Calvary. He offered it to us. He offers that forgiveness Peter would talk about weeks later, and that same forgiveness exists today for us. If you feel this morning that you've been living a life that's been opposed to Christ, that, that maybe even you could consider yourself an enemy, someone who hasn't done what God would want you to do, the wonderful news of the gospel is forgiveness can come to anyone who is willing to submit their lives to His, was willing to put Christ on in baptism, and to live that faithful life that will love enemies, that will love everyone, and point everyone to the God that we serve. If you'd like to take advantage of that invitation, if there's any way we can help you, please come forward and let that need be known as we stand and sing. Whoa.